Today, we're looking at what has to be one of the finest scenes in Luke's gospel. It's about two people. They're on a journey. They're disillusioned, restless, confused, and longing for answers. They meet Jesus along the way, but they don't recognize him. But then uh, at some point later on, they see Jesus clearly. They recognize him. They know who he is. And it's clunk, clunk, clunk. It's as if it all falls into place. And they begin to see what God is really doing. Does that sound familiar? I mean, for many of us, our journey of faith will have been a bit like that. Uh, Whether we realize it or not, we're all on a spiritual journey. We are, of course, physical in nature, but we're also spiritual in nature. We are made in the image of God. We have an inbuilt awareness of the divine. Uh, Deep down, we have this uh, this knowledge of God, this God-consciousness. But we have become estranged from God. Uh, We were made to have a relationship with our creator. That is the uh, main reason for our existence. But that relationship has been broken. And so we feel that there's something wrong with us and something wrong with the world, but we can't quite put our finger on it. There's this yearning in our hearts for something more. You often hear it said that we're all searching for something. And it's true, we are. So we go through life, perhaps, feeling disillusioned, restless, confused, and longing for answers. Uh, This feeling has been described by many different people in many different ways. Uh, St. Augustine famously wrote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Others would say that we have a a God-shaped hole in our life. It doesn't matter what we try to throw into that hole, it just doesn't satisfy. Only God uh, can can satisfy. C.S. Lewis described it like this. He said, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So we have this restlessness, this yearning for something more. And at some stage, Jesus draws alongside us and things start to be explained to us, but maybe still the penny doesn't drop. But eventually, our eyes are opened and we see Jesus clearly. We see the beauty of the gospel. We invite Christ into our lives and it's like that clunk, clunk, clunk moment and everything starts to make more sense. We've had Easter Sunday. We've celebrated the resurrection. And as far as we're concerned, the confusion and the despair and the the turmoil of Good Friday, that's past. But the reading that we're looking at today is set on Easter Sunday, albeit a bit later in the day. The resurrection had happened, but confusion still reigned. The empty tomb has been discovered. But in Luke's gospel, it's not immediately obvious that anyone has even seen Jesus yet. According to the other gospels, it would seem that uh, Mary Magdalene and maybe one other had seen Jesus, but that's still only two people. It's worth noting here that there are slight discrepancies in the gospel accounts of the resurrection. For example, how many women were in the group that went to the tomb? Matthew says two, 
Mark says three, John says one, Luke mentions three by name, but says there were others. And who saw Jesus at the tomb? Matthew tells us Mary and one other. Mark and Luke don't mention anyone seeing Jesus at the tomb. And John only names Mary Magdalene. So we have those, uh, these little discrepancies, and those are not the only ones. So what do we do with them? What do we make of that? Well, actually, it's exactly what we would expect, especially if the information is gathered from different sources. Remember, the Gospels were written some years after the event, uh, still close enough to the event that they are uh, highly accurate and reliable, but some years later, all the same. And what's remarkable is the substantial overlap that we get between these four accounts. Uh, a group of women went to the tomb early in the morning. They found the, ro- the stone uh, rolled aside. They found the tomb empty. They encountered um, some kind of angelic messenger or messengers. And at least Mary Magdalene, maybe uh, one other, uh, encountered Jesus in that place. All the main facts are there. A friend of mine was a senior detective with the Metropolitan Police in London. And he was telling me that when you get a series of witness statements, even when they're taken immediately after the event, he says there can be huge discrepancies between those statements, especially if the people involved or those who witnessed uh, whatever it was uh, were emotionally charged. Who was there? How many people? What did they say? What did they do? Everyone has a different perspective. But in amongst these inconsistencies, you can build up a clear picture of what happened. Uh, That's when you interview people straight after the event. If you interview people or recall information some years later, as is the case with the gospel, you're bound to get some inconsistencies. But what's amazing is that these interviews and this information was recalled and, and written down later, but you've got so much overlap. Uh, far more than you would expect from, you know, for example, a, 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 a criminal investigation. All the main facts are there, and the inconsistencies don't actually uh, amount to very much at all. Now, if I were to try and synthesize the accounts, it would probably be something like this. A group of women went to the tomb early in the morning. They found it empty. They encountered an angel or angels. They went and told to the disciples. They weren't really taken very seriously, but Peter and John rushed to the tomb. Mary Magdalene perhaps followed behind them, uh, perhaps going there for the second time that day. Uh, the disciples left the tomb. Mary Magdalene sat down outside it, broke down in tears, and that's when she encountered Jesus, or something like that. Something like that. But the point is, at this stage... With this reading that we've got today, uh, there's a maximum of two people that have encountered Jesus. Uh, reports had reached the disciples, uh, but no one knew what to make of them. In fact, the women weren't really believed. Um, and Peter, who went to the tomb himself, uh, wondered what had happened. Listen to verses 11 and 12. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. There is total confusion. So you have these two disciples on their way to Emmaus. Uh, One of them, we know, is Cleopas, probably the same uh, person that uh, John mentions 
as being the wife, sorry, the husband of Mary, one of the women who was at, at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. Um, John actually says Mary, the wife of Clopas, but it's very likely that this Clopas in uh, John's gospel and Cleopas in Luke's gospel is one and the same person. I know we had the, uh, the kids intro, it kept saying two men, uh, but it's much more probable that it was this uh, husband and wife, Mary and Cleopas. Uh, so probably still reeling from the events of Good Friday, they decided to travel back to Emmaus. They wouldn't have traveled on the Saturday because uh, you couldn't travel very far on the Sabbath. So they had to wait till Sunday to head home. Uh, so think back to, uh, to Palm Sunday and what everyone was expecting from Jesus. Uh, they felt sure, and the disciples especially felt sure, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he would liberate the Jewish people from the Romans. Jesus should have been defeating the pagans, not dying at their hands. As far as the disciples were concerned, everything had gone horribly wrong. They were utterly distraught, heartbroken, confused, disillusioned, and fearful. And now they've heard this disturbing report about the tomb being empty. What did it all mean? And this was, of course, the subject of the conversation between these two disciples on that dusty road to Emmaus. And then Jesus came alongside them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And we... we, The text doesn't give us any more explanation. We just know that somehow God has prevented them from seeing who Jesus is. Um, So they're walking along all downcast, and Jesus comes up and he says, what are you talking about? Cleopas can't even believe that he's asked that question. It'd be like uh, having a conversation with a friend about COVID-19, and someone comes up and said, what's COVID-19? You'd be like, really? Where have you been for the last year? You don't know? Anyway, the disciples say, uh, recap the events of the last few days. There was this Jesus, uh, a powerful prophet, a miracle worker. We thought he was going to redeem Israel to liberate us from the Romans. But then the chief priests and the leaders, they handed him over for crucifixion. They killed him. And now this morning, some women, they've gone to the tomb. Uh, they found the stone rolled back. The tomb was empty. We don't know what to make of it all. This is how Jesus responds. Reading from verse 25, he said, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus explained the scriptures to them. Not just a few proof texts, but the whole lot, everything from Genesis all the way through to uh, Chronicles. Uh, by, by the way, the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament is uh, the same, but in a different order. So the Hebrew Bible ends with the book of Chronicles. They don't break it into one and two Chronicles as we do in our Bible, but it's the same text. Um, so it's important to know that the, the Jewish Bible, the Hebrew Bible, and the Old Testament are exactly the same, just in a different order. Anyway, Jesus demonstrated that the whole of the Old Testament points forward to him. Imagine getting a private Bible lesson from Jesus. I mean, this is the the greatest Bible lesson in history, and it wasn't recorded. 
uh, certainly not in any detail. And uh, I'd love to know exactly what Jesus said to them. But we do know that he demonstrated from Scripture, from the Old Testament, that it was always God's plan that the Son of Man would suffer and die on a cross for the sins of the world and then be raised to new and everlasting life. That is God's great rescue plan for the world. Jesus got alongside those two dejected disciples on the road to Emmaus. And he said, look, God's plan is still on track. You thought everything went wrong, but it didn't. God's got this. And if you understood scripture, you would know that it always had to be this way. Wherever you are on your journey, understanding scripture, understanding the message of the Bible is key to understanding who Jesus is, why he came, and why that is vitally important to you. Uh, Understanding scripture is the key to understanding who you are, where you've come from, why you're here, and what happens when you die. It's key to understanding the trajectory of human history. Where are we headed? How's it all going to end? God's plan for humanity, God's plan for you, is there to be read and understood. Have you ever had a moment in your life where it just felt like everything had gone horribly wrong? Uh, your whole world imploded. I think we all have at some point in our lives a relationship that broke down, a career you could no longer pursue, problems with fertility, complications with childbirth, a child who was struggling in some way, ill health, either your own or someone uh, that you love, the death of a loved one. These are all situations that make us ask why. Why, O oh Lord, has this happened? Or why is this happening? And those are all major life-changing events, but sometimes even uh, relatively small things can make us feel like that. Why is this happening? This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Before we came to Australia, um, I was looking at going into the Royal Navy as a chaplain, and I couldn't see any reason why I wouldn't be able to do that. I'd, I'd served in the Royal Marines. I was physically fit. I was well qualified for the role. Um, but I had to undergo a thorough medical. Uh, so the first part of that, I went for my eye test. I sat in the chair and I looked at that chart with the letters. And I thought, I'm sure I used to be able to read beyond the fourth line. You know, on the eye charts, you start guessing, don't you? Kind of defeats the object of, a, of an eye test if you're guessing. You know, you should, should just say, well, actually, I can't see it. But you don't. You try and guess what that letter is. Well, Despite my uh, guessing, it uh, turned out that I used to have 20-20 vision, and now my eyesight is nowhere near as good as it was. And then I had to go for the hearing test. Uh, you, you sit in this little booth with headphones on, and you have a clicker, and you have to press it every time you hear a tone. And they're very quiet. Sometimes y- y- you're not sure whether you've imagined it or whether it's a bit of tinnitus or what. So you kind of just click anyway. But uh, but that didn't work for me either. And uh, it turned out that my hearing was uh, well below the required level. Having been physically fit and healthy uh, my whole life, it came as quite a shock to realize in one week that my eyes and my ears were not working so well. Uh, I actually had a bit of a wobble. I, I left the clinic and I kind of wandered for about half an hour in a daze, just walking along and then kind of 
came to and realized I didn't know where I was. I was just kind of shocked. I guess, in a way, it was the first time I had to, 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 to face the fact that I was getting older or face my mortality even. Now, that wasn't my darkest hour by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just an example of how we can feel that everything has gone wrong. Often in life, we find ourselves thinking, this is not the way it's supposed to be. For the disciples, Jesus' crucifixion was their darkest hour. And they were thinking, this is not the way it's supposed to be. The situation seemed utterly hopeless. And in the midst of that kind of hopelessness, it's often hard to see Jesus. Those two disciples didn't even recognize him when he was walking right there alongside them. This whole story really is about how hard it is to see who Jesus is and to see Jesus, especially in the midst of those traumatic events that we can experience in life. But Jesus was able to show them that God has a plan for the whole of creation. And you are part of that plan. God has a plan for you. Life can be messy, cruel, painful. Life can be fraught with trials. It was for Jesus, and it can be for us. But God's unstoppable plan is on track. And if you know and love Jesus, the darkness will give way to light. It's just a matter of time. Those two disciples on the road to Emmaus haven't grasped that yet. But that moment's coming. They, they reach their destination. Jesus looks as if he's going to keep going. They say, no, come and, come and stay with us. So he goes in. They prepare a meal. Uh, they sit down to eat. And Jesus breaks bread. And suddenly their eyes are opened. Jesus broke bread in the same way that he did during the Last Supper when he gave us the sacrament of communion. A sacrament, and Jesus gave us two, baptism and communion. A sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. So baptism and communion are outward signs of what God is doing in the life of the church and in the life of individual believers. When Jesus broke bread, Cleopas and Mary realized that it was Jesus with them. In an instant, their eyes were opened to the truth of the gospel. N.T. Wright put it like this. Cleopas and Mary, husband and wife, discover that the long curse has been broken. Death itself has been defeated. God's new creation, brimming with life and joy and new possibility, has burst in upon the world of decay and sorrow. And when we receive communion, it's a powerful reminder of the whole truth of the gospel. Later on when we take communion, listen to the words of the communion prayer. I hope you always do because it's a reminder of what God has done, what God is doing, where the world is headed. When we receive communion, of course, Jesus is present, present with us in a very literal way. We're surrounded by the church, the body of Christ, united by this act of communion and by the Holy Spirit. The Emmaus Road story is about how it can be hard to see who Jesus really is. And at times of confusion and trauma and great difficulty, it can be hard to see that Jesus is there with us. And to see Jesus clearly, we need both scripture and sacrament. 
That's what Cleopas and Mary had, didn't they? Jesus explained the scripture and then the sacrament, the breaking of bread, communion effectively. Take the scripture away and we lack understanding. On its own, uh, communion would be just kind of some, some kind of magical process. I mean, we could go through the motions of communion, but it'd be like, well, what is this? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? What difference does it make? But then if you take the sacrament away, the inward and spiritual grace, what God is actually doing in our lives, then the reading of Scripture just becomes a dry intellectual exercise detached from real life. We're all on a journey looking for something. And whether we realize it or not, that something is Jesus. And we find him through the life of the church. We find him through word and sacrament. Only with that combination were Cleopas and Mary able to see that it was Jesus there with them. Scripture reveals God's plan. The sacrament shows us that we are part of that plan, both baptism and communion. Scripture points to Jesus. The sacrament helps us to identify his work in our lives, changing and transforming us and uniting us as one people with God as our Father. Jesus has risen, and we have entered into the new resurrection life that he offers Through word and sacrament, Cleopas and Mary came to that wonderful realization. Now, 2,000 years later, we've come to that same realization by the same means. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we can only see you clearly and, and fully appreciate that you're with us through word and sacrament, that is, reading, understanding, meditating on your word, the Bible, and coming together, gathering, receiving communion to to remind us that we are brought into your family through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and that we are all one in Christ Jesus. Father, we recognize that those two things together our, our understanding of scripture and our being the church is what helps us to, to see that you are present with us. And we pray that you'll open our eyes to that this morning, more so than ever. And Father, we pray that we will live in the light of that, knowing that you're with us, that you have a plan, that it's on track, and that whatever we're experiencing in life, whatever the world looks like, darkness will give way to light. It's just a matter of time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.